Wednesday, June 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we've got a special episode of the pod today. In late May, Jared, Kevin, and I collected nine Draft Shark subscribers, and we started a Superflex Dynasty League on myffpc.com. Superflex, for anyone who's unfamiliar, simply means that you can use a quarterback in a flex position. So teams will most often play two quarterbacks in their starting lineup, but Superflex means that you can also play a running back, a wide receiver, or a tight end in that spot in case your other QBs are on by or, you know, playing at New England. Otherwise, it's FFPC scoring, one and a half point PPR for tight ends. We start two running backs, two wideouts, one quarterback, one kicker, one defense, and the two flex spots, one of which, of course, is super flex. We completed the 20-round startup draft, slow draft style, lots of trades along the way. And in this show, we're not only going to review Jared's and my plans and how our drafts played out, but we'll also talk with seven other teams from the league to get their pre-draft strategies and then some thoughts on how the whole thing played out. It really, it's a varied group, I think, in terms of experience and approaches to this draft. Wouldn't you say, Jared? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I've, I've been, after doing these interviews, I've sort of been motivated, inspired to like r- raise my game in this league because I was super impressed by, you know, just, just the football knowledge of all these guys and all, all the dynasty strategies, whether they've played a bunch of dynasty leagues or not. I think it's clear everyone came into the draft with a plan and uh, for the most part was able to execute those plans. Yeah, I I agree. I get a little charged sometimes, even separate from this, when you are talking to some of our subscribers and you're like, I've got to make sure that I stay on top of my game so that I'm really giving good advice to these guys because it's not like these are you know folks who are blindly playing fantasy and they're just following whatever we do. These are people who know the game and they're just looking for a little help. Definitely, definitely. Before we get to those chats with all of our league mates, let's start with our teams. And Jared, since you had the number one overall pick, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I'll start with just sort of like my general dynasty strategy and at least my strategy for this league. I definitely wanted to straddle the line between you know building a team to win now, but also thinking about the future, which is obviously important in dynasty because you own these players forever, or at least until you trade or release them. So win now, obviously, we know what that means. You know, guys are going to produce in 2020. To me, building for the future or thinking about the future, I, I sort of think of that as like these players as, as stocks. And I wanted to acquire guys that, at least we're going to maintain their value for you know 2021 and, and 2022 and maybe even 2023 or ideally guys that are going to increase in value but whether that means they're going to produce more for me or you know just increase in trade value so I can flip them for for other players or other picks that I eventually need so that was sort of my general strategy going into the draft as far as you know, the actual startup draft, I obviously took the Draft Sharks dynasty rankings, made some minor adjustments here, here and there, you know, based on differences I have with you and Kevin there. But then I, I think the big thing I did was I created tiers both within all the positions and also in the overall rankings, and I really used those tiers during the draft to determine, you know, when I wanted to move up to grab a player if it was, you know, the last player left in a tier or if I wanted to trade down, if I just, you know, see, if I just saw, you know, there's, there's 10 guys in this tier that are still available. Let me, let me move down a handful of spots and pick up something else. So I think the tiers were pretty important for me. I also had, had kind of like goals at each position. I wanted to 
come out of the draft accomplishing. Like, for example, I wanted to get two running backs in my top three tiers. I wanted to get at least one tight end in my top two tight end tier. So that sort of guided my trade up and trade downs as well. And then talking about those trades, that's something I love about a dynasty startup draft. If you're in a redraft league, you're sitting there in the draft and you're you're sort of helpless just waiting to see, you know, what gets to you. But in a dynasty draft, when you can move up and down the board, you have that power to go up and get a guy if it's someone you really want. So I, I, I wanted to do that. If there was someone I, I saw sitting there that I really covered it, I wanted to be aggressive, you know, make a move as long as it wasn't, you know, overpaying to go up and get that guy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, starting with straddling that line, I agree. I want to be competitive all the time. I don't want to uh, either just look to the future and go super young at the beginning or, you know, look too much at right now and load up on veterans just for 2020 and then figure out beyond. So I was certainly looking to build for now and the future. I also, I I think that one difference and, you know, we'll see how large a difference it ends up being. This is my first dynasty league on FFPC, but I think that having just 20 man rosters and two of those spots being eaten up by a kicker and defense, and then only keeping 16 players year to year, I think there's a little bit less importance on stashing younger players and and really loading up on young talent because it's not going to be as sparse. I don't think again, well, you know, we'll see, but I don't think it's going to be as sparse in terms of being able to find established players in the off season or being able to stock what you need. I'm expecting there to be some decent veteran free agents available when we get to rookie draft time in this league next year. No, that's definitely right. I think with the shallower roster, you know, at least relative to other dynasty leagues, there's just less room to to stash guys who you know aren't going to make an impact this coming season. So we'll get to how I approached my draft, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your decision at one and then I guess how things specifically played out for you, either going along with or going against your pre-draft plan. Yeah, and it was definitely a tough decision at one. I mean, with this being a super flex league, I think Christian McCaffrey and Patrick Mahomes really are you know, right there, neck and neck. I think you can make good arguments for both guys. And really, to me, the decision I went with that pick sort of guided what I did the rest of the draft. Not so much because it's a running back or a quarterback, because I just think Christian McCaffrey has more value in 2020. You know, fingers crossed he stays healthy. And I think, you know, he should still have two, three, four more years of elite production. So I think if McCaffrey's producing, you know, even 75% of what he did this past season, I think even in Superflex, he's more valuable than Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes definitely has more long term value just because of the position he plays. I mean, you know, he has a still, you know, what? He's in his mid 20s. He still has, you know, seven, eight, maybe even, you know, 10 to 12 years of elite production. So that that's sort of, I think, the decision is, do you want the guy who has more value for the immediate future or the longer term guy? I, you know, ended up going McCaffrey. So that sort of pushes me more towards the direction of winning now versus, you know, thinking long term. Yeah, and I think that it was definitely McCaffrey or Mahomes at the top. I, I think it was much easier to say, that it is McCaffrey versus Mahomes than it was to say which one of those I would prefer at one. If I had the first pick, and I know you tried to get me to move up before we got to the <laughs> – well, first off, let's, let's address that it doesn't look very good when we go out and invite <laughs> people to come play in a dynasty league with us and then we end up with the top two picks. <laughs> as far as I know, there was nothing nefarious in that. I think it was just how it played out. I think the person who might have the best complaint – against that working out like that though is Kevin our colleague who was at like what seven to begin with 
Yeah, I mean, if, if Kevin had got the three pick, then I think there, there'd be there'd be you know more, more to worry about. But it was completely random, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to complain about getting the one pick. Obviously, I think I would have rather had the two pick. I might even rather had the three or four pick because I do think Saquon Barkley and Lamar Jackson. I think it's maybe a slight tear break between McCaffrey, Mahomes, and those two. But I think I think Barkley and Lamar Jackson in this format are both awesome starting points for a team. Yeah, I think that it's certainly possible for those guys to join these two in the same tier. But for right now, it's pretty easily these two. And I would have taken whichever one you didn't take. I would lean Mahomes just for the long-term safety. And I think beyond just the long-term safety, I think he has showed us in 2018 that he has the capability of producing that way above the rest of the position season at any given point. I think we'll get another couple of years like that from him along the way, you know, along with just sustained excellent uh, production. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with any of that. My second pick in this draft was was Dalvin Cook, and I moved up a couple times to get him. I ended up getting him at the 203, and you know, I, I just again looking at those rankings and looking at the tiers. I had Dalvin Cook as a top 12 overall player. He was the last player left in his tier. So I made I made that move up to grab him. You know, that was obviously before the holdout stuff. It's not like I didn't know that, you know, he was entering the final year of his deal and the holdout was a possibility. Maybe now I take Joe Mixon or, or Nick Chubb over Dalvin Cook. But, you know, again, especially talking dynasty, I mean, it's less of a concern when you when you when you have the player for his entire career versus just this season. You know, I, I still think getting Dalvin Cook at 15 overall was it was a pretty nice value pick. Uh, I certainly agree with that. I was actually surprised at how quickly running backs went off the board. I mean, I, I know that they're going to go fairly early, but after we saw four go in the first round, eight more went in round two. So there were, there were 12 off the board by the time we finished the first two rounds. You know, obviously we'd all expect that in a redraft. It was a little quicker than I expected in this draft where quarterbacks have extra value. And we all know that, you know, wide receivers have much longer careers at this point than running backs. Yeah. So, so let's talk about your team. Cause you didn't take your first running back until the seventh round. I believe that was your, it was your eighth pick. Correct. You know, was that a general idea you had going in that you wanted to sort of wait on running back or is that just because the running backs were flying out the board so early? No, that was not a specific plan. I mean, I did going in with the second pick. I knew it was either going to be McCaffrey or Mahomes. Uh, I would, I would probably would have guessed that you were going to take McCaffrey so that Mahomes would be mine. I knew that I wanted to get a young tight end early. I did not expect to have a shot at George Kittle. So I'm pretty sure that that uh, JC Rodriguez, who we'll talk to later in this show, owner of the Costa system, I'm pretty sure he put the 110 up on the trading block. And then I decided to take a shot just to see if I could get from 211 to there. And I did. I mean, I gave him 211, 411, and then a fourth round rookie pick for his 110 plus 711. So it was, you know, a three round drop for me plus a a fourth round rookie pick to make that move. I I would make that move again because I think George Kittle is one of the top five assets in, in this format. I think the age puts him well ahead of Travis Kelsey for me. And he and Kelsey, just in terms of the next two years, are way ahead of everybody else in the position. Even I think there's a gap between those two and Mark Andrews. If I hadn't made the move up, I might have taken Mark Andrews at 211. I might have taken him at 302. I feel like if you had asked me before the draft, though, I probably would have expected to take a running back with one of those two picks. And, you know, like I said, I'm surprised that the eight just 
flew off the board in round two and didn't really leave me a potential good option had I stayed at 211. So then like once that happened and I was sitting at 302 and I had Patrick Mahomes already and I was watching Tyreek Hill stay on the board through all these running back picks, I'm like, well, I want to go ahead and get Tyreek Hill then. I've already got Patrick Mahomes. That's about as good a stack for weekly fantasy play as you can get because those guys can just put together, you know, 400 passing yards plus 150 receiving plus three touchdowns for each of them in a given week at any point. So I made a slight move up to get Tyreek Hill. And, you know, that left me without a fourth round pick. So by the time I'm picking in round five, there are so many running backs gone. And the next three running backs at that point, after I took CD Lamb, were Leonard Fournette, Devin Singletary, Keyshawn Vaughn. I'll take CD Lamb over that trio. Oh yeah. I mean, and that, that's sort of why I wanted to go, you know, obviously I knew I was getting McCaffrey at one and I, I wanted to try to lock up another, you know, top eight or so running back just because again, we, we've talked about it in redraft. It, it drops off so fast. You know, there, to me, there's like 10 to 12 dynasty running backs that really excite me. And beyond that, I, I didn't want to be really messing with the position. And I didn't, I mean, after taking McCaffrey, at 1-1 and Cook at 203. I didn't take my next running back until round 11. Going back to your Tyree Kill pick, yeah, um you you moved ahead of me to make that pick, I believe. Um but I was you know I was I was definitely eyeing Tyree Kill and Chris Godwin at my pick at 301. You took Tyree Kill, the pick ahead of me at um 212. So that made the Godwin pick easier for me. And then in the fourth round I end up trading up again to get Allen Robinson. So you know to me McCaffrey, Cook, Godwin, Robinson. I absolutely loved my start. The price I paid, I guess, for that start was I'm definitely weak at quarterback because I didn't take my first quarterback until round six in the Superflex League. So I have Jared Goff as my quarterback one. Tom Brady was my next guy in the eighth round. Who's obviously, you know, I, I'm hoping he can give me a top 12 season this year, but not much long-term value. And then Jordan Love is my quarterback three. So I know that that's obviously the weak point of my team. Um, we'll see how it works out for me. I, I think ideally Goff and Brady sort of give me quarterback one production in the next two seasons. Brady did sign a two-year deal with Tampa, so hopefully he plays that out. And then you know maybe Jordan Love can sort of be the guy who steps back in for Brady. I, I think you're going to be send, spending this offseason lighting candles for Tom Brady to extend his career, which <laughs> I, I don't think is anything that you would have guessed you would be doing. But I think Tom Brady and Jared Goff are a good top two for this season. And then yep. we'll see if Brady sticks around next year. We'll see what he looks like this year. I think we're all assuming he's going to be just yeah. fine, but you know, he is 43. So we'll see. I do think that if Tom Brady, you know, has an unexpected fall off or if he decides to retire after this season, I think you're going to be needing another quarterback and, you know, we'll see exactly yeah. what the score for that is. Cause Jordan love, I like Jordan love for long-term upside, but I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is going to be out of that picture by 2021. Yeah, I mean, I don't even love Jordan Love. I mean, I was actually hoping to get, I think Teddy Bridgewater was one of my targets that went off the board just before, before Jordan Love. But yeah, I mean, that's again where I have hopefully built up enough equity on this roster where that if I do need to make a deal or you know any type of move for a quarterback, whether it's this season, 2021, 2022, hopefully I have enough you know firepower, enough ammo to, to make that move and you know sort of plug that hole at quarterback. So we talked about C.D. Lamb uh, being my fifth-round pick, the guys that went just after him. And then I took Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods with my next two picks. Again, it was just a matter of not being able to leave the value at wide receiver on the board to reach for a running back just because I knew that I needed one. And also, at that point, looking at the players on the board, I knew that there was this group where – I would be comfy piecing together 
the position with short-term guys with, you know, zero RB type guys that might need an injury, might need things to break their way this year. I, I just felt like I could collect enough to go together and we only need to start two running backs a week in this league. And that, you know, that's my plan is not having a running back in either flex spot for pretty much any week. I, I ended up with Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Naheem Hines, Anthony McFarland behind James Conner. James Conner was my first running back pick. And I, I felt good about him being my first running back pick late in round seven. I mean, he went a little bit more than two rounds after Leonard Fournette. I don't think that James Conner's outlook either this year or beyond is all that different from Fournette's. I think James Conner is the key to your team because because I think you're above average at quarterback, tight end, and wide receiver. So I think Conner, you know, both this season, can he stay healthy this season? Can he get, you know, something close to the role he had played the previous two? Um, and then and then beyond that, because James Conner just turned 25 years old. Like if he can stay healthy, he should still have, you know, two, three, four seasons of, you know, I don't know, say top 20 production in him. If you can get that out of him, I think you're, you're set up pretty well. But, you know, we know Conner has had the issue staying healthy. He's set to become a free agent next offseason. So there's definitely some longer term question marks with him. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, the downside here is that I think I, maybe I take something like six, seven points a week from that second RB slot with Matt Breeder, Naheem Hines, uh, those kind of guys piecing together. We'll see about Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert. But, you know, that's certainly a position that I figure I'll have to address uh, at some point. But I feel great about the wide receivers and very good about the tight ends as well. Yeah, and, and you know, like we said, with the shallower rosters, I think it's going to be easier to find usable running backs on the waiver wire in this dynasty league versus other deeper dynasty leagues. Did you go in with any plans of stacking? We'll talk about that with some of the other owners. I, I know I wasn't planning to stack until I was sitting there with Mahomes and seeing how round two went and then thinking of the Mahomes-Hill stack in particular. And there, there were a couple other times where it maybe broke a tie with later round picks, but it wasn't a specific plan of mine. Yeah, I had no plan to stack. And I actually did come away with Tom Brady plus Chris Godwin plus OJ Howard. So I do have three bucks, but it was not a plan for me at all. One, I, I don't think stacking is nearly as valuable in lineup setting leagues as it is in best ball. And two, in dynasty, I mean, you know, these guys aren't guaranteed and usually don't, you know, stay on the same team forever. So, you know, just because it's a stack in 2020 doesn't mean it's going to be a stack in 2021. So that, that wasn't part of my uh, draft strategy at all. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it because Mahomes and Tyreek Hill is basically one of the few that I would go after at the price you'd have to pay for it. And then similarly, you know, if you look at my roster and see James Conner and Anthony McFarland, it might look like a handcuff situation. And I do think that having Conner on my roster added some value to Anthony McFarland for me, you know, just that if Conner goes down, there's more opportunity for McFarland. But I certainly did not go in here looking to uh, handcuff. Once I had Connor, I was not like, oh, I got to get Anthony McFarlane. I think that's just how the value matched up at the point where I took him, which I think was round 16 or so. Yeah, 15th round for McFarlane, which you know, I thought he was a good value there. I, I don't think, you know, dynasty owners should be looking to handcuff and reaching for guys to handcuff. But, you know, I, I think when McFarlane already made sense as a 15th round, 15th round pick, I think the fact that you already had Connor actually just added even more value to McFarlane at that point. How did you approach tight ends heading into this draft? I mean, tight ends yeah. a lot of focus for FFPC because of the one and a half PPR. I went in wanting to get, you know, two 
tight ends. I think it was in my top three tiers, which was like the top 10 tight ends in our dynasty rankings. I ended up doing that, getting Hunter Henry in the sixth round. I took Henry at 6'10", and then I came back and took TJ Hawkinson at 7'01", which I, I'm, I love that duo. Um, if I could go back, though, you know, just seeing I, – I sort of thought if I did that, it would spark a tight end run. I mean, that, that didn't really happen. I think tight ends in general just dropped farther in this draft than I expected. So if I could go back, you know, I might – pass on Hawkinson, you know, maybe take quarterback there. I think I was uh, considering Matt Stafford versus TJ Hawkinson. So maybe I go back and take Stafford there and get a uh, get a tight end a bit later just because they did fall farther in this draft. Considering the 1.5 PPR for tight ends, um, they, they, they fell farther than I thought they would. Yeah, I expected tight ends to go a little bit faster than they did. You know, like I said, I wasn't expecting to have a shot at Kittle. I was expecting to maybe um, look at Mark Andrews around the 2-3 turn. So I did want to get one fairly early and young that I could rely on for a while. Once I got Kittle, I knew I could wait on that position for a while, but I'm certainly happy to grab Blake Jarwin at that spot. And then, you know, we'll see if, if Jack Doyle, Josh Oliver helped me out. Yeah. It's a solid group there with Kittle, obviously your guy for the long term. All right. So you've heard what Jared and I think about our teams. Now let's hear from some of the other owners around our league. Joining us first here is Tim Olson. Tim, thanks very much for coming on to talk about your team. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this pod. Tim's team is probably the one I'm most excited to talk about. I mean, I think if nothing else, it's the most interesting team coming out of the startup draft. So Tim made 13 different trades, you know, before and during the startup draft, which I believe was the most in the league. Some of the bigger ones, he sent his fifth rounder and 11th rounder in the startup draft for a 2021 first round rookie pick, an 11th rounder and a 20th rounder. He sent another fifth round startup pick and a 10th round startup pick for another 2021 first round rookie pick plus a ninth round and a 16th round pick in the startup draft. Tim traded the 107 in the startup draft plus a 12th and an 18th for another 2021 first round rookie pick. So that that's three if you're counting. And then he picked up another 2021 first rounder by trading the 209 for that first round pick and a fourth round pick in the startup draft. So Tim heading into next year's rookie draft right now owns five first round picks. So he owns you know nearly half of the first round in the rookie draft. He also owns two second round picks and two third round picks in the rookie draft. And then as we start to get into his team here that he drafted in the startup Tim drafted four rookies he only has one player on his entire roster with more than three years of NFL experience so it, it's it's clear that Tim had a, a plan heading into this draft and he definitely stuck to it yeah so Tim before we get to too many of those um, specific players tell us a little bit about your experience with dynasty leagues and or the super flex format as we're playing here so dynasty brand new i saw on twitter you guys put the invite out to shark subscribers and i've always been interested and i'm like this is the time to do it might as well jump in and so i'm brand new in fact i, I started a second one on ffpc recently mm-hmm. try not to take it too fast and then super flex last year was the first time i did super flex and um you know kind of the influenced by twitter there's enough people that i follow and trust and respect their opinions that they say Superflex is the only way. And it's hard to argue at this point with that approach. Jared mentioned the flurry of trades that you did. You were the last team in the league to draft your first quarterback by a pretty wide margin. What was your strategy heading into this draft? Well, my strategy, as Jared touched on, um, was to play for the future. I think that's quite obvious by the team I drafted. I definitely wanted to trade out of the first round. I wanted to accumulate a lot of picks two to five. I don't know if I executed that perfectly, um, and also age 24 kind of was my number and younger, you know, Jared mentioned the three years experience, except for like one player, I kind of stuck to that mm-hmm. and then kind of punted on quarterback. I, I figured, you know, with my approach, I'm not 
going to compete this year unless I catch lightning in a bottle. I'm not holding my breath. So, you know, just, just trying to stay young. You know, this is all new. So I believe a lot of things. I know nothing about Dynasty, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, it seemed that receivers and um, tight ends hold their most value. So I was trying to go young there. Running backs, you know, I, I just think, if just look at the Dalvin Cook news, and there's so much volatility in running backs that I just didn't want to build around that. I, I mean, I wanted, you know, I took DeAndre Swift, trying to get someone young with with high upside pedigree. But yeah, that was that was the gist of it, was kind of playing for the future and, and trying to make the strength of my team young receivers. You said you were hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. To be fair, that might be a good nickname for your top quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's he doesn't have the draft equity to, to have too much trust in him, but, you know, why not? Stranger things have happened. And um, to go along with another pick, you know, the young receiver I got, I, I just figured I'd punt on quarterback, see who fell to me, and see what happens. And in next year's class, obviously, there's names everyone knows, even new guys like me, that, you know, I have the equity where if I need to get one of those high-end quarterbacks, I, I have a chance. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you did pretty much stick to your pre-draft strategy or were there points in the draft where you felt the need to adjust your approach? No, I, I think the biggest thing I was able to do was avoid temptation. There's so many good players that drop. You're like, oh my God, how is this guy here? But he just didn't fit my profile. You know, I, I, the only time I pivoted was, you know, I, again, I waited on quarterback and, you know, I took Big Ben pretty late. You know, who knows if he even plays this year, let alone in a dynasty league. That's The value is obvious there. Um, I guess I wish I would have known. I saw Matt tweeting about it, the, the three quarterback thing. I probably would have waited longer. I, I thought maybe there might be, I might get stuck. So, you know, that's not a complaint. That's, I didn't, you know, look at the rules close enough. So, but, you know, other than that, I think I stuck to it pretty well and didn't really feel the need to pivot, just kind of kept with the plan. What was your favorite pick or move that you made during the draft? Early on, you know, I, I, I got a third party kind of value calculator for Dynasty Leagues after a few picks. So, I, I think I could have gotten a little more value in my first couple picks. You know, Jared mentioned some of the t- To be fair, I'm valuing the first rounders as a mid. So if, if they become early first rounders, my value is fine on some of those early picks. But if they're mid first rounders, I, I, I gave up a bit. In any event, I don't really have regrets because it, it was kind of my plan. And to kind of get the ball rolling and show people you're an active trader, I probably had to give up a little bit of, you know, quote unquote edge to get involved. But I, I think my favorite pick is kind of boring. I, I went through five. Five I kind of debated, and I'm, I'm going to go with DJ Moore in round three. I kind of was eyeballing him as the anchor of this team and then really a guy that I think for a long time, you know, could be a highly productive, you know, wide receiver one perhaps, especially with that bad defense this year and, you know, some stability at quarterback. I mean, that's the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, just going back to those trades real quick, it's interesting because, you know, you, you basically set – the market for what 2021 first round rookie picks are worth in our draft. So, you know, even if, even if maybe you didn't get great value based on, you know, that trade calculator you were looking at, I think um, because you were the first one to move a bunch of those, all the other trades involving 21 first sort of used your trades as a guideline. So I, I think you did just fine with those deals. Yeah. You actually reminded me of my old life where it's set in volatility. I used to trade derivatives here in Chicago and um, the market is the market. Like if someone sets volatility and, and is willing to trade, it's, it, it doesn't matter what your sheet says yep that's really not fair for you to come in <laughs> with experience in other markets <laughs> well it's been a long time and i was average at it at best so i wouldn't be too worried <laughs> I, I think it's worth noting that while we're talking about these rookie picks that for the ffpc drafts the rookie drafts also include available veteran free agents and it's a dynasty league but i believe that you're only allowed to keep 16 players year to year and i mean that's you know that's a lot 16 times 12 but 
that also means there's going to be more veteran talent available than you would usually find available in a typical dynasty league, I think. So we, we could see these values for rookie draft picks, and especially once we get into the later rounds of rookie drafts, be greater in this particular league than they are in a lot of other dynasty formats. Yeah, I, I think that makes complete sense. Because even, you know, if you got to get down to 16, I mean, I think if you look at who wasn't drafted, there's a lot of viable guys that could help teams this year, even, you know, before the injuries kick in and position battles and thing, things like that. Now, you might have already answered this one in, in a previous question, but is there anything in particular that you would do differently in hindsight now that we're past the draft and you can look back on how your team shook out? Yeah, I, I mentioned the first couple of trades, um, maybe trying to squeeze a little bit of value. I, I'm not going to lie, I don't remember the details, but did I count? you know did I just accept was I I think I was a little bit eager to kind of just get my feet wet but you know that's part of being new like this whole year I think is going to be a oh uh, that was a rookie mistake and then you know there was a point where I had an opportunity right after I took DJ Moore I wasn't patient enough maybe to see if anyone was interested in that pick or moving out moving down and and you know I'm new I'll give it away I, I really wanted AJ Brown there was an opportunity for me to trade up to that pick that I didn't execute quickly enough and whoever got AJ Brown I forgot now and then I attempted a couple times to go after him, and it just didn't happen. I'm like, all right, I, I just have to move on. But other than that, I, I'm really happy with how I stuck to my plan. I'm excited for the year. And, um, you know, if I can catch lightning in a bottle, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to just tank with my rookie pick. I, I, I would like to, you know, try to be competitive. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's always my issue, I, pretty much in any draft. There are always more players I want to draft than I'm able to draft. And, you know, especially in a format like this, I, every time my turn came up, I was like, all right, do I wait and see if anybody wants to trade? Do I ask if anybody wants to trade? Mm -hmm. And in Dynasty, I mean, there's so much more room for different valuations on things. Uh, every year I watch trades happen with other teams, and I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't realize I could have gotten that guy for that little. I should have just made an offer. Yeah, I, that, that, I, that's making sense to me. That It's just put it out there. We're all in the same mindset. We're even just, you know, in the chat room, like I can move back or, you know, and people start sending you offers on the flurry. So it's, this has been great. The trading aspect is, is you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a high volume best ball player, but, you know, this is bringing so much more to the table with the trades and the interaction and getting to know people. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's cool. I think there's constant learning, especially when we're playing a different format than a lot of us have played for most of our fantasy lives. Absolutely. Jared, you got anything else? I'm planning on uh, calling Tim at some point during the season to trade for Ben Roethlisberger. So. Depending on how things play out, that's that was my main motivation in drafting Ben. I'm yeah. like, this could, this could be a trade chip. You know, it's, I kind of <laughs> joked about it. But um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hope people realize I'm a willing trader and looking forward to Lots of action. Definitely. Nice. Thanks very much, Tim, for taking some time out to join us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to a fun season and uh, all your summer pods and the Sharks are the best. I'm a longtime subscriber. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Have a good one. Joining us now are Brian Harwood and Matt Krantz, co-owners of the SBFFC team. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Great talking to you guys today. So let's uh, let's run through... Uh, Brian and Matt's startup draft here before we get into some of the questions we have for them. So um, Brian and Matt only made two trades during the startup draft. I believe that was the, the lowest number in the league. So that they head into the 2021 rookie draft with all their picks there. This team opened up with Alvin Kamara and Clyde Edwards-Alaire with their first and second picks. Also at running back, they added Keyshawn Vaughn, so their second rookie back in the sixth round. Mark Ingram and Tariq Cohen. Um, a wide receiver, A.J. Brown and Kenny Galladay are going to be their two studs up top. That, that was their third and fourth round picks. Later on, they added some younger guys, rookie Michael Pittman, Nicole Hardman, Robbie Anderson, 
quarterback, they're running out Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo at the top two spots. Phillip Rivers is their third guy there. And then at tight end, it was Tyler Higby is their first tight end in the seventh round. Um, then they added a couple younger guys, Chris Herndon in the 13th and Adam Troutman in the 16th. So that's the SB FFC squad coming out of the, the uh, startup draft. Brian, why don't you tell us, before I ask about the experience for you guys, why don't you guys tell us what the SBFFC stands for? Well, the SBFFC stands for the Southern Bluegrass Fantasy Football Championship. I am the commissioner and founder of the Southern Bluegrass Fantasy Football Championship. It is a fantasy contest. We had 17 leagues of 204 teams last year. It's uh, We run it like a miniature FFPC or NFFC contest. We run totally live in Bowling Green, Kentucky in the month of August. You can check everything out on sbffc.com. Uh, myself and Mr. Kranz have won uh, a lot of money off SBFFC leagues, being a loyal subscriber to Draft Sharks. Nice. Matt, why don't you tell us about your uh, specific experience in Dynasty Leagues and or the Superflex fantasy format? My first Dynasty League was in, I believe, 2011. I got a little spoiled because in 2013, I got Le'Veon Bell in the third round. Ever since then, it's been downhill. But <laughs> I'm going to say I've won three chant, three Dynasty titles. I got the trophies to prove it. And my, I, love, I don't like trading in straight-up redraft leagues. Dynasty, to me, allows me to trade with other owners, and it's – it's really, really, really fun to be able to trade in Dynasty Leagues. I wouldn't want to do it in Redraft, but Dynasty, I'm good. As far as Superflex, I don't really have a ton of experience, so this was kind of a unique draft for uh, for me. Yeah, it's a fairly new format for me, too. Brian, Matt said that he likes to trade in Dynasty, and as Jared mentioned, you guys made the fewest trades through the draft. Does that mean that you were handcuffing your partner in that department? <laughs> Well, no, we, we think of quality over quantity of trades. We got about a thousand offers. We were just, there were none. I mean, we were not getting great offers. So you guys must have stolen them all from us. <laughs> Brian, what about you on the Dynasty front and Superflex? What's your experience? Well, my experience, this is my first Dynasty on the Superflex, but this is, I've played Superflexes for years. I do see that quarterbacks tend to go early, but with this FFPC scoring system, it kind of makes quarterbacks a little bit less valuable than the FFPC regular scoring format just to kind of give more of an even keel. I've, I've found in super flex leagues that there's always a quarterback on the waiver wire to go pick up. Quarterbacks are always the easiest to score points when they start. I do like the way that you can only draft three quarterbacks in the draft itself. And I think we've got two good ones with Ryan and Garoppolo and Phil Rivers is in a division where, the AFC South, they don't. They think uh, defense is a third world country over there, and uh, <laughs> so Phil Rivers, he's gonna get the job done too. And he loves his tight ends. So uh, Phil Rivers loves tight ends. So that's gonna be a good. Uh, the owner that got Jack Doyle is, I think, is gonna be happy. So, uh, but my experience is like you know, wide receivers tend to wait a little bit later on. Wife got to get your quarterbacks and uh, running backs early. What was the collective strategy for you guys heading into this draft? Well, for me, uh, I wanted to kind of do like a blend of old and new. And I think we may have done the best job out of any team in this draft by getting what we did with Ingram in the 10th and then pairing him up with the vet rookies, uh, Kyle Edwards-Hilaire and 
Keyshawn Vaughn. I think we have a very good mix of youth to go with veterans. So I was kind of just wanting to get the best of both worlds as best as we could. I had a little disagreement with the co-owner Brian there on quarterbacks. I thought we may have wanted to jump in a little earlier. I mean, I like Matty Ice and Garoppolo's okay. I just I'm not sure stacked up to the other teams if we did enough for quarterback, but time will tell. Well, we may not have. I agree. We were talking about Daniel Jones uh, picking him in the fourth round. We probably should have, but um, that, that's good to get the you know get the experience in there. I you know I agree because you know you had five quarterbacks go in the first round. You know that's a franchise a quarterback is a franchise player, and Ryan and Garoppolo will be around for a few more years. Rivers will not be, but I, I tend to I tend to agree, but. I don't know, Harwood. He's got fifteen. River's got fifteen kids to support, so he might be playing for another five years. I could see that. I could. I could definitely see it. He's he's probably taking in vitamins that Tom Brady's on. <laughs> Do you guys feel like you pretty much stuck to your pre-draft plan throughout, or did you find yourselves adjusting course at at points? Well, I mean, we had to adjust to look at the fifteen thousand trade offers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were just to see best players available. But I can We had an idea of in mind of who to take, uh, like say, for example, we were torn between two players around six or maybe seven that I was like, well, maybe we can go ahead and trade because the player might be there to come picks later. And then we get a bonus pick later, like in like round nine or 10 that helped us there as well. Matt, what was your favorite pick or move that you guys made during this draft? I think orchestrating the trade, I cannot, maybe Brian can help me with the exact details, but we ended up, I think, trading back a little bit and getting two picks back-to-back around 10. So we had three picks around 10. To get Mark Ingram in round 10, and then the next pick to get a young stud and Michael Pittman. Yes. So we've watched and studied the tape at USC. He's got a lot of potential. His dad was Mr. Olympia for Tampa back in the day. I think those <laughs> two picks back-to-back and then – few picks later, uh, getting Mikael Hardman to go with Tyreek. Hill's going to open up for Hardman. Hardman is, I mean, he's young. And having Mahomes for the next few years, I mean, those three picks around 10, I'm not sure you're going to find a better three three picks by a team in any round in this draft. I definitely agree, especially with Pittman and Hardman. Uh, Brian, anything that you would do differently in hindsight now looking back on the draft? Well, you know, like as Matt and I were talking, maybe get a quarterback earlier. You know, we were talking about possibly getting Daniel Jones instead of Galladay around before we had some discussions over that. We had some Buffalo Trace Bourbon discussions over that. Um, <laughs> I know somebody and, hates Galladay, so. <laughs> talking you know, about me? Yeah, well, I did see that, uh, Jared, you, you, was, you had an article on, on Galladay. Yeah, I think he's overvalued in redraft, but I think where you guys took him here in the fourth round in a dynasty, I mean, he, he should still have, you know, four or five, six years of high-end production. So I, I thought that pick was fine. I'm not going to hate on that pick. That's why I was telling Harwood that Jared probably fine with this pick in a dynasty. I mean, it's a yeah. lot different than your normal run-the-mill redraft. So I, I was wanting to take a quarterback there, and uh, Harwood kind of uh, – persuaded me that i mean it was it was hard to pass up galladay at that point i will admit to that that was my fault (laughs) (laughs) well but and also too i mean the serviceable guys i mean i'm assuming a lot of these guys are going to start the quarterback at the flex most of the time it'll be it'll be different in terms of the matchups and you know maybe another thing you know i would have done different maybe maybe made a couple more trades early 
I would have liked to see what we would have got in a fair market value for our 2021 first round pick. Just, if I were just going to just trade just that pick, what would we get back? What do you all think? We just talked to uh, Tim Olson, the owner of uh, Rhino 19, and he, you know, he's the one that stockpiled. He has five 2021 first round picks now. Um, it, it seems to me the going rate was like a fourth or fifth round startup pick in exchange for a, a 2021 first rounder. You know, personally, the way I play Dynasty, I'd rather have the fourth or fifth round startup pick. But, you know, you have guys like Tim who are stockpiling their rookie picks and maybe playing a bit more for the future. Well, I could I could see that, definitely. I think that's one of the cool things about the format is it's harder to say what's right or wrong. It's just a, a wide variation in approaches. Yeah, there's there's nothing really to go by on, on a league like this. I mean, you're which makes it fun. You know, you're just kind of out on your own, Will and Dylan looking at trades and figuring out where you're going. We were a little, we had a few homer picks there, but not too many. Can you guys talk quick about your strategy at tight end? I think, you know, for, for the FFPC, it's tight end premium, 1.5 PPR for the position. Well, we both went to uh, Western Kentucky University, tight end U. <laughs> Jack Doyle. Tyler Higby, Deion Yelder. So going in, we wanted Higby. So, I mean, I think round seven, he was our first tight end off the board. And we were very, very pleased with that pick, aren't we, Harwood? Well, and, and that is, as well, Higby had a really good second half last year, too. He caught fire, and I think now he's understanding the system. Over the second half last year, he was a, probably a top three, four tight end. But Tyler Higby, I think it's going to be good. It's a matter of just can the offense you know, stay healthy, can they stay consistent. That's the uh, – Thing you know, we were like this. Uh, Matt likes Chris Herndon as well, and I think Adam Troutman was a good pick from out of Dayton. I think he's a good, just late round kind of dark pro. Yeah. He may t- it may take him four or five years, but he may be like Higby in the fourth year he goes off. Well, in that case, he's got to be patient. I mean, sometimes in dynasty leagues, patience is a key, especially with tight ends in this format. Mm-hmm. Because tight ends tend to like rookie tight ends tend to take a couple years to. Of- to mature and grow anyway. Well, Matt and Brian, thanks very much for joining us to talk about your team. We look forward to competing with you guys in season. We look forward to competing with you all too. Thanks for letting us join in. Thank you guys. You bet. Guys, take care. You I too. appreciate you, my friend. Joining us now is JC Rodriguez, the owner of the Costa system. JC, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Why don't you tell our listeners what the significance of your team name is? Sure. Yeah. Well, my middle name is Costa. So a bunch of uh, I use Costa screen names in a bunch of different places. So I used to have a team called the Dennis System, which was a a play on the Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And then I I switched that over to the Costa System. But my my team logo is still the old the old Dennis System poster from the from the show. So I generally started when I switched over, I started winning some leagues. So decided to stick with it and let everybody know the source of my winning was my system. Nice. Keep going with the system. Jared, why don't you tell us about how his team turned out? It's kind of an intimidating team name, actually. You know, it's like, you know, what is this What is this system I'm going up against here? <laughs> yeah, so let, let's go over JC's uh, startup draft here. So JC made eight trades during the startup draft. The, the two big ones, he sent his 2021 first-round rookie pick and the uh, uh, 5'11 pick in the startup draft for the 305 and a 2021 third and fifth. He also traded out of the 110 in the startup draft. He, he gave the 110 and the 711 for the 211, the 411, and a 2021 fourth round pick. So heading into next year's rookie draft, JC currently doesn't own a first or second round pick in that rookie draft. He does have three third round picks and three fourth round picks. He also ended up with five of the first 35 picks 
in this startup draft, six of the first 47 picks. So, you know, we'll see if that was a strategy of him wanting to load up on some of these higher end guys. Just running through his roster real, real quick here. JC took Dak Prescott ninth overall. Also took Sam Darnold and Jarrett Stidham later on at quarterback. His running backs, Austin Eckler in round three. David Montgomery, round four. Melvin Gordon, round six. Later on, added Philip Lindsay and Joshua Kelly. Wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster and Amari Cooper in round three. Took Cooper's teammate, Michael Gallup, in round eight. Denzel Mims in round 10. And then at tight end, Mark Andrews in the third round. He made Andrews the uh, third tight end off the board here. And then a couple younger guys, Ian Thomas and Devin Asiasi at tight end later on. Before we get to those players and picks and, and your moves and strategy, tell us a little bit about your experience with Dynasty League and or the Superflex fantasy format. Yeah, sure. I actually have a, a bit of experience with both. My my biggest home league that I, I currently do, we actually switched it to a Superflex. It's got to be about 10 years ago by now because we just we didn't like how in the drafts, the most important position, the quarterback was really undervalued that, you know, you were waiting until, well, if you were doing it right, you were waiting until, you know, eight, nine, 10th round before you were drafting a QB. So we wanted the the QB to be important. So we switched that one over there a long time ago. That's a redraft league. We do that every year. And then uh, as far as Dynasty goes, I actually got into FFPC through you guys. I started doing the playoff challenge that you guys were advertising on the Draft Shark site. So I got in through the playoff challenge. I've been doing that for a number of years. And then uh, about four or five years ago, I started my first Dynasty team. I, I'd done keeper teams before, but, you know, keeper is a little bit different. You're generally keeping, you know, two, three, four guys maybe on a whole roster. So it's it's not really shaping your offseason so much. I, I wanted to do this one where you're keeping 16 and you're really busy throughout the whole offseason. Like it gives you a whole year to to talk trades and and really be involved, which has been, you know, key during this time that we're all stuck in the house. So I've I've picked up a lot more teams lately. I've actually started, I think, two or three more dynasties this year alone as we've been stuck in quarantine. Just It just gives you something to do to kind of keep busy. So i got a bit of experience with both. Um, good times. I, I enjoy the Superflex. I like the, I like the QB important aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's the ideal answer to making the QBs more important without making them too important as you can in playing two quarterback leagues where you can just turn like the first three rounds into just a QB fest. Yeah, exactly. What was your strategy heading into the draft? Jared mentioned all the trades that you made and the, the the changes to your rookie picks next year and on all those early picks. What was was that all part of your pre-draft strategy? That was part of my pre-draft strategy. My I I decided generally I'm a trade down guy. I, most of my leagues I end up with a lot of extra future first round picks and things like that. I, I I like to trade down. I had actually just done a super flex league um, with Adam actually, who's also in this league that finished about two weeks before this one started up. Um, and actually in that one after the draft, I I traded traded for Patrick Mahomes. I basically gave up a ton because. Mahomes was available. So I said, yes, I'd be glad to have him on my team. So I made some trades there. But in this one, my strategy was I'm going to try to get a lot of picks near the top. Um, I'm not going to do the trade down thing. I'm going to try to trade up. Originally, I traded up. I had 110 and 111 thinking, all right, the last draft I did, five of the first eight and six of the first 10 picks were QBs. So my thinking was I go in, I had 11 guys I really liked. It was 11 guys. I'm like, I'm going to get two of them. So I traded up. And then what do I know? Only three picks before it gets up to nine or QBs in this one. 
my hope going in was I was going to grab Kamara and Kittle. I wanted to get a little K-squared action. So I was going to try to grab both of those. But Kamara went before I even had a shot. And then Dak was still sitting there at nine. So I made a little trade to get up and get Dak because I got Dak as my number three QB. So him still sitting there at nine was kind of good for me. But that basically threw everything out the window. Because I was going to hold off on QBs until I was thinking like fourth or fifth round. But with Dak still sitting there, I kind of had to audible a little bit. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dak this year. I really like that passing game they have going on there. And picking up CeeDee Lamb and everything really just makes me feel like they're going to have a good passing game for a lot of years. I know Dak's not signed yet, but I, I'm pretty confident he's going to be at some point. He's going to be on the Cowboys. So pretty much once Dak was still there and Kamara was gone, everything changed. So I, I traded up from uh, somewhere in the second round to grab Dak. And then uh, at that point, I was like, well, Kamara's gone, so I'm probably going to – I don't want to grab another QB, so I'm going to trade down. That's when me and you made a deal. We made that uh, – you traded up to get Kittle. So I traded down to 211. I actually ended up trading down again from 211 to 34 and picked up Mark Andrews, which I was really happy with because I had him as my number two QB, my number two uh, tight end there. So to be able to get Andrews, I picked up a lot of picks later on. I got that 7-11 to 4-11. I also jumped up from 8-2 to 6-9. So I was able to grab kind of some capital still in this draft while trading out of that spot. And, and like you mentioned, I had a lot of picks in the first few rounds. That was definitely by plan. I decided going into this one, I wanted a lot of high picks. So I ended up having that one first round pick. And then I actually had four picks in the in the third round, which was interesting. I was able to kind of stock up there and that did some shifting around, but it's pretty much like every draft you go in thinking you're going to do one thing. And then one pick kind of throws the whole thing off. I was, I shouldn't have been surprised that quarterbacks didn't go as early as they did, but uh, just from the last draft I've done, and even my experience in my super flex at home, the QBs just, they tend to fly off the board in the first couple rounds in these. And that kind of didn't happen here. We only had, I think six QBs in the first two rounds, which was kind of low. So it kind of changed things a bit for me, but that makes it fun. You got to adjust it as you go along. Yeah, I was surprised with you that uh, quarterbacks didn't go faster in the draft than they did. I don't regret moving up for George Kittle at 10, but I was surprised to see Mark Andrews stay on the board as long as he did. And after watching him go, I was kind of like, man, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> me neither. I, I didn't know that for sure that was going to happen. When I first traded with you down, I was hoping to get that running back. I was really hoping to to grab a running back there. I was hoping to maybe grab like a Miles Sanders type or, you know, something like that. And by the time it got down to 211, the only thing left was Derrick Henry, who I like Derrick Henry, um, but I basically had him the same as Austin Eckler. So I was able to trade around, grab Austin Eckler with one of those third round picks and then get Andrews, who I really like a lot. I'm a I'm a big fan of Andrews, so and I don't don't really have him in many places. I don't have a lot of shares of him, so to grab him here was a good thing. I got a lot of Kittle in other places. I'm a believe me, I understood your trade up. I love Kittle; he's awesome. But for me in this one, it worked out well to to slide down, grab Andrews, and then get a little more capital later on. Yeah, I was I was very surprised by how far a lot of these tight ends drop, considering the you know tight end premium 1.5 PPR for tight ends in these FFPC drafts. JC, I want to go back to those rookie picks and just because you do have so much experience in these FFPC yeah. dynasty drafts. Do you in general feel like people overvalue or undervalue rookie picks in comparison to you know either startup picks or just, just veterans once leagues are already underway? Yeah, I think most owners, they overvalue the first round picks and they really undervalue the second and thirds. Hmm. Uh, after second and third, eh, fourths are, are pretty good too. After that, who knows? Um, but I, I mean, I find people kind of just throw around the seconds as sweeteners, like like they don't mean much. 
Um, and I like, I like gathering up a bunch of seconds. Like uh, in that other league where I picked up Mahomes, I gave up two firsts in the deal to get Mahomes, but I also got back three seconds. And I was like, that's a pretty good for me when I'm upgrading from Josh Allen to Patrick Mahomes. I'm more than happy to, to take a couple thirds, you know, a few thirds for a couple firsts. So I normally like to hang on to the first, mainly because I like to use them to get other things. Like I, I generally will count on people having a big value on those. Like, you know, I, I'll use them to pick up guys in the past years. I've used them to get guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas and, and players like that when I'm mid season and I have a team that I think has a chance of actually winning something, then I'll go ahead and, and shift out one of those first to see if I can bring in. But that's the thing. I'll really only trade one of those firsts if I'm getting some sort of star player back. I'm not shifting out a first round pick. So, you know, I could pick up Keyshawn, Keyshawn Vaughn or something like that this year. Like if I'm going to trade those out, I, I really want to grab someone good with it. But yeah, that's the first thing. They tend to get overvalued. You just don't know where they're going to be until you get to the end of the year. You know, 110 is sure. not really that great. But if you're sitting there with one three, all of a sudden, you know, that's a, that's a big difference. Even if you just look at our draft where those kind of guys are taking, you know, Jonathan Taylor's getting picked in the second round and, and I come back to Keyshawn Vaughn, but he's a six-round pick. So that's kind of the, the, the variance and the value you're going to get from those first-round picks, depending on where they fall. JC, one of the things that jumped out to me about your roster is a lot of team stacking. You might have even done more of it than anybody else in the league. There's Dak with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, uh, Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, Sam Darnold and Denzel Mims. Did you go in seeking as much team stacking as you could get? Or was this a matter of how things developed during the draft? Yeah, I usually use that as a bit of a tiebreaker for me. If I if I have a player who's really superior to another player, I'm, I'm not going to care too much about the stack. But if I'm looking at players where I have a few players kind of evenly ranked, like that's kind of what happened with Amari Cooper. I had, a, I had a few receivers in that range that I was really looking at as possibilities, you know. You know, DJ Moore and AJ Brown both went before I had a shot, but you got Mike Evans in there, Kenny Galladay, Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, you know, guys like that in that range. So for me, Amari Cooper was more of just, I've got Dak, that's a nice tiebreaker. So I, I, I kind of went with the guy who was going to match up with the QB. It was similar with Gallup. Gallup's also kind of a, I like Gallup on his own as a player. He was surprisingly really good last year. He had some sets that were very similar to what Cortland Sutton did. But Cortland Sutton's being rated a lot higher this year. So I kind of, I like grabbing Gallup where I can. And then having Dak and Amari Cooper. I mean, they can get out of Cooper's contract in a couple of years if they want to. And, you know, who knows? Maybe down the line it's Gallup and, and CeeDee Lamb are the guys on this team. And Amari Cooper, he's not always uh, the most durable guy. He can get nicked a little bit here and there. So I don't mind having Gallup on the team there too. Because if something happens to Cooper, you know, Gallup could, could move himself up to being, you know, a wide receiver one type. It was the same thing with Mims. When I made the Mims pick, I was looking at him um, and also Nikhil Harry. I like Nikhil Harry a lot this year. I think, uh, you know, with him already working with Stidham last year in the offseason, both being rookies, I, I like him to have a bit of a breakout this year. So I like them both the same. I've got Nikhil Harry in a lot of places already. I had Darnold, so that was kind of a tiebreaker to go with to go with Mims instead of Harry. So it's it's more of a tiebreaker situation to me than a than a straight rule to follow. We talked about some of the early draft moves that you liked. Is there anything now that looking back on it that you would do differently in hindsight? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I don't think so. I really liked the way it worked out. I think I think I might have felt different about our trade if I hadn't been able to get Andrews down there. 
because I really made our trade hoping to grab one of those running backs in the second, the late second round. And when that didn't happen, I kind of had to pivot from there. Like I was really hoping to get a Miles Sanders who went a couple picks before me. So when that didn't happen, it was like, all right, well, let's just trade down again. And then to still be able to trade down and get Andrews was good. Because I, if I'd have stayed, I would have taken Kittle in that spot that I traded to you. That's where I would have gone. So mm-hmm. to still get Andrews. But had that Andrews pick not worked out, I might have regretted trading away that kill part of it and wished I'd had Kittle on my team. So there was one that could have been bad, but it ended up ended up working out all right. Otherwise, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way things went. Uh, I was really able to hold off on on some spots and, and get guys I liked. There was a few spots that guys got nabbed in front of me that I would have liked. That happens in every draft. You know, you, you get a couple guys that get nabbed like one or two spots in front of you and it throws you off for a second. But then you you recover and figure out who's the who's the next guy we're going to throw on this team. So overall, I was definitely happy with the way it worked out. I, I got a lot of younger players, not a lot of rookies, but a lot of, you know, second, third year type guys, which I, I like grabbing, especially this year with really limited offseason. I'm curious to see kind of how the rookies play coming out of this year with really just doing, you know, virtual meetings and whatnot. Not a lot of on-field stuff until they... So they get to training camp. Can you just talk about your two quarterbacks behind Dak Prescott real quick, Sam Darnold and, and Jarrett Stidham? I think Stidham, are you especially high on him? Do you think he's the guy in New England long term? Or, or is he sort of just, you know, I got to get a third quarterback. Stidham's there. I'm going to grab him. I am actually high on Stidham. His pedigree is interesting because when he came out of high school, he was a super high, highly recruited player. He was one of the top recruits in the country. He might even have been the number one QB recruit in the country. And he he got a little transferring around. He had some weird circumstances. He had a really good year at Auburn two years ago, which he would have been a high draft pick if he'd coming out at that point. But then he had kind of a tough second year. And what I find interesting is that, you know, guys like Jordan Love, who had a good year, he lost some weapons and didn't have as good of a year, but he was still a first-round pick. Everyone's really high on him. But then you get someone like Stidham, who had a really good year, was going to be a high pick, then had a tough year, but only ended up being a fourth-round pick, and people kind of fell off him a little bit. I also watched him a bunch in the preseason. I know it's preseason and everything, but he looked really good. Like, he wasn't rattled. He was finding the right receivers. He was throwing good balls, things like that that you want to see. So I like him. I think he I think he is definitely going to be the QB there this year. We'll find out after that what he's worth. But, you know, for a 12th-round pick, I was looking at guys like, you know, if I wasn't taking Stidham, you know, I was looking at guys like Ben Roethlisberger, who's, you know, maybe got a year or two left. Who knows what's up with the elbow. Cam Newton's not even on a team. Jordan Love's going to be sitting behind Rodgers for probably at least a couple of years. They can't get out of that contract, you know, right away. So he seemed like the spot for me. I've actually been grabbing him in a lot of spots. I grabbed him in the other two, the other Superflex League I did there too. As a later round pick, I think I might have got him in the 11th round in that one, the 12th round in this one. So that's generally where I like to jump on him. This league's also interesting because you can only draft three. So it makes me think like the first week of waivers is going to be crazy with people <laughs> trying to grab extra quarterbacks. Because you can have as many as you want, but you can only right. draft three. So I'm going to be really curious to see how waivers week one goes. You know, do we have guys going out there grabbing people like, you know, Eason and stuff like that just to put them on their roster and, and sit on I'm sure people will be grabbing them, but I'm going to be curious to see how much people are actually paying for them. Oh, yeah. I've, I've already thought a little bit about that. So. <laughs> I'm sure you have. You have to. It's probably going to be the it's going to probably be the most highly sought after position once this thing goes. This is the first super flex I've done through FFPC. So or that and the other one I drafted this year, I generally had just done standard leagues. So and my other leagues are redraft. So it'll be interesting to see 
how that affects the waivers. It's also going to be interesting to see how that affects the rookie draft. Because normally you're looking at these guys, you know, yeah, you may take him. You know, like Justin Herbert, you know, I think I might have grabbed him in like the fifth round in a rookie draft. He's probably going to be a top six pick in, in two quarterback rookie drafts, things like that. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how that all falls once we get to waivers portion of this system. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting. JC, thanks very much for joining us and talking about your team today. And I look forward to competing against you. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. I am very excited for this. It's going to be a really good time. Definitely agree. Take care, man. All right. Have a good one, guys. Next up is a guy that you have heard on the podcast before. It's Adam Krautwurst. Adam, thanks for joining us today to talk some Dynasty. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited. Let's get into Adam's squad here. So he Adam made eight trades during the startup draft here. His two big ones, he moved up from 109 to 105. Uh, he gave up the 309 and got back the 505 in that trade. And then he sent his 2021 first-round rookie pick away in addition to the 404 in the startup draft for the 209. Uh, and he took Josh Allen with that pick. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later here. Um, mm-hmm. Adam also picked up a 2021 third-round rookie pick along the way there. If you look at his startup draft, it's interesting. Adam had seven picks among the first 60 overall. His next pick didn't come until 103 overall, so sort of a, a front-loaded startup draft. His team, uh, Ezekiel Elliott at 105, um, didn't take another running back until the 10th round and then took five in a row. Tony Pollard, kind of a handcuffed to Zeke there. Alexander Madison, Marlon Mack, Latavius Murray, Antonio Gibson. Adam has Josh Allen and Joe Burrow as his top two quarterbacks. Took those guys in the second and third round. Uh, Nick Foles is his quarterback three. Took four straight wide receivers between the fourth and fifth rounds. Odell Beckham, Calvin Ridley, Tyler Boyd, Stefan Diggs. Later on, got Jamison Crowder and Josh Reynolds. And then at tight end, Adam has Hayden Hurst as his top, as his top guy. He took him in the ninth round. Dawson Knox in the 13th and Eric Ebron in round 15. Man, that was, that was a lot. I didn't realize I did all that. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a two week draft. So (laughs) that is true. Um, yeah, I was super excited to get Zeke. Um, I wasn't, obviously I think I had like pick, I don't even know what pick I started with maybe nine or 10 or something, but I traded up with Kevin to take Zeke. Um, I definitely wanted to have a, like a player that I could kind of build my team around. So that was nice being able to do that, take Zeke. And then I handcuffed him with Tony Pollard to kind of lock in that RB one for the next, uh, you know, at least two to three years in case Zeke goes down. So yeah, I like I like being able to do that. And then in the second round coming in, being able to get, um, being able to get Josh Allen. I know, so I don't play a ton of super, super flex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't play a ton of dynasty. I probably like, well, I don't know. I play, I'm in like four leagues, so I don't know if that's a ton or not, but yeah. So the super flex dynasty thing, I wanted to be able to get two young who I think are stud fantasy quarterbacks, hopefully with Burrow and, and Allen. Cause I don't get to draft quarterbacks and in, in redraft because I just don't take them high. So um, last year I got a lot of Allen cause he was going late. Um, this year I probably won't, won't get a ton of him. So I wanted to build around two good young quarterbacks for the long haul. And then one kind of stud running back there early. Um, and then I kind of did a little modified zero RB, which I don't know if that works yeah. in, in, in dynasty, but <laughs> was that your plan going in or is that just sort of the board shook out that way? It wasn't. The board kind of shook out, you know, in the middle rounds, I didn't, I just kept the value at receiver I felt was there. They were young, they were good, you know, like you said, um, with Beckham and Ridley and Boyd and getting digs. So I, I just kept kind of taking those guys 
And, uh, and I just, you know what, well, another thing too, being able to trade uh, is helpful too. So if something ever happens, um, I can always trade maybe for that number two running back or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I like being able to take those two quarterbacks and, and kind of go from there. Adam, did you have a cigarette after you made the trade and, and drafted Josh Allen? <laughs> my hand, my hands were quivering. I didn't know, uh, you know, when I was about to make that, uh, make that pick, but yeah, I was obviously, Super excited to get to get Allen there, you know, and then I go back and look and I think I probably took him a couple, maybe like a round early because I went and looked at some, uh, you know, fantasy mojos got those, the startup dynasty Superflex startup ADP. And I think I took him a little bit early, but I don't like it. Like I said, I don't, I don't really care. I want to, I want to get a guy that I, a quarterback I enjoy watching. And obviously I'm a Bills fan. So that was, that was exciting. And I wanted two, two handsome young studs to, uh, <laughs> to, to kind of build, build my team around for the next, for the next eight to 10 years. Touch on that a little bit because you did add Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox. You got Tyler Boyd after drafting Joe Burrow. So did you head into the draft with stacking in mind? No. Um, in fact, I normally don't. So I'm a huge, I love stacking in best ball. I'm like, that's one of my things. But in, in redraft, I don't really look to stack. Um, in fact, I was in a, a football guy's draft the other night and I took DeAndre Hopkins and Somebody kind of was surprised that I didn't take Kyler Murray to go with him because I took Dak Prescott. But so I'm not really big into stacking redraft, but it just kind of, I think for dynasty to be able to get these guys kind of teamed up for, for, for years and years, especially quarterback and receiver being able to, you know, once they build that, that chemistry, you know, neither of them have it right now. Cause you know, Burrow's a rookie and, and obviously Diggs is just getting to Buffalo, but I think it'd be good to have, and they're both, you know, I think, you know, my, my receiving course young, I'm not sure how, uh, how old Diggs is, but I don't think he's older than like 28. And then, um, you know, my, the rest of my receiving core is pretty young too. So being able to have those guys, I think Boyd, I think Boyd's like 25. So I think, uh, yeah, I think they'll be able to grow, grow together. Uh, you talked a little bit about adjusting during the draft and wanting to build around Ezekiel Elliott and a couple of young quarterbacks. Was that, was, did was there any more to your pre-draft strategy than that you know not really i didn't um i just want to make sure i got two quarterbacks because i've heard horror stories of 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 um you know uh teams in super flex that don't have two two quarterbacks and just having to start just you know guys that either not, not being able to start a quarterback which i guess in ffpc isn't horrible because quarterbacks don't really score that many points in the in the ffpc so if you had to start like a stud running back or a really good receiver there it wouldn't necessarily kill you but i definitely wanted to make sure i got two good young quarterbacks and then kind of whatever else happened would kind of happen and i was i was perfectly okay with that to that end were you surprised at where the quarterbacks went in this draft i mean well considering the homes didn't go one overall i mean that was just <laughs> that i needed how many v bucks did matt uh give jared to uh to not take Mahomes with the number one overall pick we could do a whole show on that couldn't we Oh, we definitely could. I don't want to get into it now. I'm sure we'll talk about it either, you know, early, uh, early on in this podcast that you're listening to, or on a separate podcast. We'll definitely get into that. But it's funny because Matt said a few times that he was surprised quarterbacks dropped. To me, and I think the reason I ended up weaker at that position and waited a bit longer. To me, they were all going a half around to a round and a half earlier than I sort of valued them. So I was sort of on the opposite side where I thought some of these quarterbacks were were going a bit earlier than they should have uh i wasn't surprised by the first round because that kind of goes with a little bit of the adp but normally you would get like um well so another super flex that i did earlier alan went uh like the beginning of the sec second round so be able to trade up and get him at the back end of the of the second i think was pretty it was pretty cool but yeah i feel like i feel like they were kind of um spread out normally at least my experience i don't have a ton of experience with with this 
specific format, but normally I feel like they're going they're going much higher. But I could see like I was surprised Lamar fell fell to four. In fact, I'm not a Lamar guy just because I feel like his his injury risk is pretty high. But I was trying to trade up to four from the five spot to get Lamar Jackson. The guy the guy just he I think he insta picked Lamar once he didn't even see my my uh, my trade offer. So um, I think once you get one of those two high quarterbacks, Mahomes or Lamar, um, I think it it really really helps you out, especially because they're so young. And as you mentioned, I felt like the first round went about how I would have guessed as far as quarterbacks are going with five of them going in that round. But then only Josh Allen was the only one in the second. There were only three more in the third, two in the fourth. So it really slowed down. I, I thought that by the time we got to like, you know, round seven, round eight, we wouldn't be seeing some of the names still on the board that were there. See, I think that's right, though, really. Because, I mean, to me, obviously Mahomes and, and Jackson are top four picks in this format but i i see a you know a, a tear drop from there to guys like dak and kyler and deshaun watson and then i think there's another tear drop after that so, you know your your burrows your rounds your russell wilson who is you know 31 years old now so i thought the quarterbacks if anything were going a bit too high at least for my taste adam what was your favorite pick aside from josh allen what was the favorite pick or move that you made during the draft um yeah i think we kind of talked about it but i think um i didn't really have like a a big one that I absolutely loved. Although I do like having Alexander Madison now. So if you want to, Jared, if you want to make a trade right here live on the air, I can trade your Madison for handcuff your boy Delvin Cook. But I don't really have a, like a single pick that I absolutely loved. I did, um, I did like stacking Burrow and Boyd and Allen and Diggs again. Um, in in redraft, it's not something I usually look to do. But in dynasty, I think having being able to have those, that, those young duos um, for years and years, I think is pretty pretty, pretty cool. So on the flip side, is there anything that you would do differently looking back now on how your team shook out? Well, no, I was looking this over before and I was, I think probably two things. One thing is I felt like looking back at the ADP, I probably took a lot of guys maybe a round or two early. Um, Not that that's awful, I guess, especially in Dynasty because you just want to get your guys, but Mm -hmm. um, I probably could have waited on Boyd a little bit. I thought, I thought I got Boyd you know, in a good spot. And then I go look at the ADP. I probably should have checked it first, but normally it goes like two rounds later. You know, there's a couple guys that I probably took a little bit too, too high. So there was that. And then I would have probably in hindsight would have liked to get out of the draft with my first round pick for, for next year. You know, normally I don't mind trading those in, in dynasty. Um, but I don't feel like my team is, is super strong where you would look back and go, Oh, you know, he got a ton for it. I mean, I did involve it in the Josh Allen trade, so I don't, you know, really regret it, but I would have liked to have gotten out of the draft with my first round pick next year. Still, uh, still intact. You were drafting with a bunch of Tyler Boyd fans here. So I don't think he was going to, going to drop much farther than where you took him there in the, in the late fifth round. I want, I wanted to ask you about your, your tight ends and your tight end strategy. I guess I've been, I've been asking a lot of the, owners about that because because i thought the tight ends in this you know 1.5 ppr for tight ends the ffpc's tight end premium format i i thought they dropped a bit farther than at least i valued them so were there were there spots where you were close to taking a tight end did you plan on waiting until the ninth round for your first one how'd you how'd you approach that position hey man it's so hard because you want to target the you know you want to target your quarterback at least i did i'm like hey i gotta get my quarterbacks and then once i made a bunch of trades it kind of just worked where it worked out where i didn't have picks kind of where the tight ends were, where were going and the interesting thing about kind of the cool thing about dynasty is you really it forces you to really plant your flag on certain players. If you're doing a bunch of redrafts, you can kind of pick guys here, pick guys there, you know, kind of get a piece of every, of everybody. But in these dynasty leagues, you really got to plant your flag. And I, and there was a point basically where I, and I say, okay, you know what, do I really believe in, um, 
in Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst is a guy that I really, really liked it this year. But when you're in Dynasty, it's like you you got to really believe in him because you're going to be stuck with him, especially if he's, he's he's my tight end one, I think, going forward. So if he's if he if he busts out, uh, I'm going to be in big trouble because it's not really the, it's not really easy to trade for tight ends in these in these tight end premium leagues. So uh, Hayden Hurst, and then I have you know I love Dawson Knox. You know his hands were suspect last year, but I think for a rookie, he had a really good year for as far as dynasty is, is concerned. I'm sorry, as far as fantasy is concerned. So I think um, they're only going to grow on that in Buffalo. And again, I have Allen, so that's nice. Um, and then Ebron was just kind of a necessity pick like hey i need another tight end just in case he'll probably have a decent year this year in pit in pittsburgh um i don't plan on having him more than you know two years or whatever so but he could be a he could kind of be a surprise pick there a tight end for for me yeah ebron's still only 27 years old so i like the value there yeah well adam thanks very much for joining us and talking about your team i look forward to taking your money this year and next (laughs) no problem i'm happy to donate don't expect me to be overpaying for madison either (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, guys. Next up on the list is Brian McFadden, who hasn't added a team name yet in the league. Brian, thanks for joining us. And do you think you're going to name your team at some point? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll scour my brain to come up with uh, with something to uh, use now that, uh, you know, it's weird drafting team uh, a couple months before the season. And then, uh, you know, I'll have a little time to, to come up with a squad name at some point. It's nice to let the players on your roster be able to kind of drive that a little bit too. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's get into Brian's roster then um, in this startup draft. So Brian only made three trades, but one of them was a big one. Um, he sent his 2021 first and third round rookie picks, plus his fourth, ninth, and 11th round picks in the startup draft for the 107, which he ended up taking Kyler Murray there. He also got 12th and 18th round picks in the startup draft in that trade before taking Kyler Murray, Brian opened his draft with Michael Thomas at the one Oh six later added DK Metcalf, T.Y. Hilton, LaVisca Chenault, AJ Green, James Washington, and Sterling Shepard to his wide receiver core beyond Murray at quarterback. Brian took Drew Brees in the ninth round and Cam Newton in the 12th running back. He has Miles Sanders, who was the pick at two Oh seven JK Dobbins in the third round. Le'Veon Bell in the 8th, Darrington Evans in the 13th, and then a couple more rookies, Michael P. Ryan and DJ Dallas late. And at tight end, it's Noah Fant in the 6th round, a guy I definitely wanted to land, so I was not happy about that one. And then um, Gerald Everett in the 14th uh, rounded out Brian's squad. Now, Brian, the, Jared mentioned it. That move for Kyler Murray at 107 was bold. How did that come together for you? Yeah, you know, I went into this kind of um, – you know, wanting to make sure I got, you know, I had about a list of about 28 guys that I wanted to try to get about four of them. Um, and one of those was, was kind of securing one of those top five, uh, you know, younger quarterbacks between Dak, Deshaun Watson, Kyler, uh, Mahomes and Lamar. I knew we were going to be off the board when I picked. Um, so I was kind of originally thinking Kyler at the 1.06, but then Tim sent me kind of an offer to move up and, uh, we, you know, went back and forth a little bit. I jumped on it to, to uh, lock in being able to get, uh, you know, a top 10 pick and then securing one of those one of those younger quarterbacks. So if you hadn't been able to get that 107, would you have taken Kyler at 106? Yeah, most likely. Or I would have tried to trade back probably. And then I would have looked at like Deshaun or Dak in that, uh, you know, 10 to 15 range probably. Now let's back out of that a little bit. And why don't you tell us something about your dynasty experience and or super flex experience in fantasy? You know, with uh, with some of the people that are in this league, this is probably not uh, great from an expected value standpoint. But I this is my first dynasty league and my first super flex league. So um, 
I just uh, have kind of pumped the brakes on new season long leagues like the last couple of years with kids and work and stuff like the Tuesday night waiver runs are just just way too much. So I've just been doing more best ball and I play a lot of DFS. So just been focusing on those and, and said, you know, I wouldn't jump in another like, you know, season long transactional league unless something cool and interesting came up. And uh, when you guys sent the, uh, you know, the invite in for this, I, I thought that was, you know, I like the format with the Superflex with the one and a half tight end PPR and, uh, you know, one also with everything that's going on in the world with the pandemic and being stuck at home, uh, having to prep for a draft and having something interesting to do, uh, you know, obviously piqued my interest too. So this was kind of just the perfect storm of a new fun league to get into. Yeah. The super flex format is, is still fair. I'm inexperienced in super flex as well. Um, played a little bit more dynasty, but it's definitely something to get used to. And it's, it's fun to get used to it in a way where there's skin in the game too, where you're not totally playing around, but you're actually, you know, invested in making sure that you do it the right way. Absolutely. You mentioned having a list of 28 players. Besides trying to get one of those young quarterbacks, what strategy did you have heading into the draft? Yeah, I just wanted to, um, you know, balance out a nice young core early, kind of regardless of position. It kind of ended work, you know, it ended up actually working out where I spread it out across all the positions. That, that wasn't my plan. I was just going to kind of take guys, you know, where I had them tiered, you know, looking for younger, like first couple years in the league. I wasn't going to go rookie heavy early. Um, I did lock up Dobbins at 3.06, though. Um, that was right at the kind of a teardrop in running backs for me. And then uh, I ended up taking a few more rookies than I kind of expected to later in the draft. But I think that's just kind of what happens at the running back position late. Uh, you know, when you get into those late rounds, you're not, you know, you're you're just taking projections of players. And uh, I wasn't going to just invest in guys that were older at uh, running back. So I ended up a little more rookie heavy than I kind of thought initially, but I definitely wanted to have like a younger core of guys that were in the league and then try to jump on some, you know, vets late in the draft that had like, you know, short term ceiling to them. I ended up with T.Y. and A.J. Green. Ideally, I probably would just have taken one of those two guys, but I just think from like a weekly in-season ceiling perspective um they give you that where they can hit for the multiple multiple touchdown games and, and big yardage games um you know as long as they're healthy which is which is going to be to be seen unfortunately yeah i certainly think the format ends up finding plenty of those veteran guys falling beyond you know where their immediate value can lie and perhaps here on ffpc where the rosters are only 20 deep in season you can only keep 16 year a year I feel like it might even elevate the value of those guys a little bit more than your typical dynasty league, which could have, you know, 40 man rosters carry over yep. from year to year and you just don't have veterans hitting the wire. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like you pretty much, besides getting those uh, more rookies than you had planned on, do you feel like you pretty much stuck to your pre-draft plan or were there points where you really made significant adjustments to follow the draft flow? Yeah, for the for the most part, you know, the one thing I didn't, you know, I made three trades. I didn't make a ton of trades because one, I didn't kind of want to lose sight of what I wanted to do and, and just end up missing on spots. But but that was the one thing when I kind of made some trades in the middle of the draft. I was actually looking initially to do what uh, I think Jared ended up doing with tight end, where he went back to back with a couple of young guys. I think he took what uh, Hunter Henry and Hawkinson, maybe. Yeah, that's right. I grabbed Fant. Yeah, I grabbed Fant before that, and I was hoping to grab one of those other guys from that tier. But um, just kind of the way the draft fell in that like eighth, ninth round, I ended up taking Le'Veon, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm always kind of. <laughs> wishy on like Adam Gase offenses, but like you're also sitting there with a guy who got like 70 plus targets there in the eighth round. So I, I thought that was pretty decent value as my RB three at that point. And then just, there was like a flood of QBs and tight ends after that. So 
I was sitting there like three picks off my pick in the ninth and uh, dialed up a trade to come up and get Breeze, who, you know, taking a 41-year-old quarterback in Dynasty, I'm not a huge fan of, but to be able to like stack him this year with Michael Thomas from a Superflex standpoint, I liked. So yeah, I wasn't, I knew the quarterback run was going to hit. It was just weird. I, I didn't know what my plan with QB2 was, and I, I would have wanted somebody that wasn't 41 years old, but uh, I guess I'm okay with the way that, that I'm going to play now. Well, how come you didn't add Taysom Hill, who's obviously the long-term plan? In your yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, Taysom Hill's like a year younger than Breeze, isn't he? Isn't he like thirty-eight? <laughs> he's he's definitely up there. How about Cam Newton? You know, do you expect him to potentially be a factor this season, or see more? Someone you're just hoping, you know, maybe maybe can be the replacement for Drew Brees. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the thing. And if I get some out of him this season, that would be ideal. I mean, we can not that there's a ton of quarterbacks out there on the waiver wire, but you know, I'll probably probably look to add a fourth guy in the roster just uh, if it becomes available once the season starts. But um, I wasn't going to just take somebody with with less upside with that third QB pick at that point. I just thought Cam, if he signs, probably has got a, uh, you know, a higher ceiling over the next couple of years than any of the other guys that were out there. Yeah, we were talking with some of the other owners about, you know, the it's probably going to be a mad rush on the week one waiver yep. to get any of those quarterbacks that are still sitting yep. out there. Yep. <laughs> what was your favorite pick or move that you made during the draft? I don't know. I like from a rookie standpoint, I like uh, Chenault from Jacksonville a lot. I kind of liked him come out of college. I like the like the landing spot, like that he could be, you know, involved in the run game a little bit. Um, uh, I like the trade I made. I mean, being able to lock up, you know, two, you know, a top probably four quarterback and a number one overall wide receiver in a startup I thought was huge. Uh, especially with Miles Sanders coming in the second round. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked coming up and, and being aggressive and making that trade for, for this year. Mm-hmm. Is there anything now that we're past it, anything you would do differently in hindsight looking back at your draft? Yeah, um, I probably would have addressed another tight end. Um, you know, I think I like Gerald Everett a lot. I probably took him around early. I was between him and, like, Jack Doyle at that point, which I think, oh, Matt, you took him, didn't you? I honestly don't remember if he landed on my – oh, yeah, I think he's on my team. Do you have Jack Doyle? Yeah. I was between those. I think Ian Thomas went right before him too. So, um, yeah, I probably would have liked to get another younger tight end on my roster with some upside. But um, being a onesie position that you start one, and I don't really think I've got, you know, two guys that I would be starting flex at this point in the beginning of the season. That's something I'll probably look to address during the season. But, yeah, ideally I would have – probably took another tight end around that ninth, 10th round range, like a Hayden Hurst, Blake Jarwin, something like that. And then gotten a either vet like Doyle or another guy like Ian Thomas drilled ever later in the draft. Hmm. It was sort of tough to feel out like where tight ends were being valued yeah, in, in this draft. Absolutely. Like, like, I mean, I, I'm definitely glad I got Henry and Hawkinson, but looking beyond those, those two guys, you know, I think there were some other, Pretty nice values at tight end. So, you know, I, if I could go back and do something over, I might actually pass on one of those tight ends and just wait a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, um, you know, I really loved Fant a lot. And, yep. uh, you know, looking the way it kind of played out, like you're saying, I almost, as much as I like him, I almost wish I would have held back a little bit and maybe attacked like two more from the, you know, kind of tear down or yeah. the back end of his tier. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Well, I'd like the fan pick. I mean, I, I would have taken him. I, I know. I think I was eyeing him. Uh, I think I was just a few spots behind you there in the sixth round, and he was definitely on my radar. Yeah. So I, I like that pick. Thanks. 
I think we all should have just gone with Jared's method and picked a letter to start the last name and then only drafted tight ends that fit that letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got what? Henry, Henry Hawkinson and OJ Howard. Oh, geez. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fe- what do you think on that trio? Yeah. What do you think on OJ Howard this year? I'm, I'm not expecting anything out of him this year, yeah. but I mean, I still, I, I, I'd like to see him get out of Tampa Bay. Produced in college, has produced in the NFL. I think he still has a pretty bright future. We'll see. We'll see how long Gronk can, can stay on the field. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see down there. They get a lot of a lot of mouths to feed. Yep. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if their defense is going to be better this year too, because I think that you know that that helped their offensive numbers a lot last year. Just all those games being shootouts and Jameis throwing pick sixes all the time and stuff like mm-hmm. that. All right. Well, Brian, thanks very much for taking the time out to join us and talk about your team. We look forward to competing over this season and next and going forward. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Take care, man. Take care. Next on our list here is Jake Valike, the owner of Spree at Last. Jake, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on discussing the draft. Yeah, so Jake, Jake was super busy during the startup draft. Uh, he, he made 11 different trades, a bunch of them involving a whole mess of, of picks, even a couple of players. I'm not going to go through all of those, but um, the, the gist of what he ended up with is, is Jake, he, he owns only second fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks in the 2021 rookie draft. So he did lose his first and third round picks. But in the startup draft, he ended up with two fifth round picks, three sixth round picks, two seventh rounders, three eighth rounders, and two ninth rounders. So he really stockpiled picks in like that early-ish to middle portion of the draft. He opened the startup draft with three straight running backs, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, took Darius Geis at running back in the eighth round, Daryl Henderson in the 13th. Um, At wide receiver, Jake has Keenan Allen, who was a sixth-round pick, Adam Thielen, Jalen Rager, Deontay Johnson, Anthony Miller. Um, His quarterbacks are Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford, who he took in the sixth and seventh round. And then Justin Herbert is his quarterback three. And at tight end, it was Zach Ertz in the sixth. I thought that was a great value pick. Then he got Dallas Goddard in the ninth round. Yeah, so he has both Eagles tight ends there. And then he also took Rob Gronkowski in the 11th. And Jared, I think he missed one of his quarterbacks. He's also got two Tonga Vailoa on his roster in round five. Oh yeah. yeah I traded him away. And that was part of, uh, uh, I had like a multi-part trade deal, which I started off by uh, trading my 21, 21 first, which I like to do to get somewhere in, in the fifth round to kind of get an extra pick. I took that first and I drafted Fournette. And I coupled Fournette with Tua, and I traded him to uh, John with my 10-10 for a 2021 first and picks that actually ended up becoming the 7-12, 8-1, and 8-2, and that turned into Thielen, Geis, and Rager. And I felt that kind of like stabilized my lineup and, and kind of really filled it out for me. And then I took that extra 2021 first, and I uh, traded it to Kevin for Keenan Allen, which I felt gave me a lot of, you know, another guy who could help me win now this year. I really should know at this point better than to question Jared's <laughs> completeness on uh, researching something. Yeah, it was it was the only it was the only you know the only two players, Tua and Fournette, that that were traded during the draft. You know, everything else was draft picks. Um, so that was definitely interesting. Um, so Jake, it sounds like you're a fan of. In startup drafts, trading away future rookie picks for picks to, to acquire proven veterans in, in this type of format is that is that true? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I really do like like to trade that first because I tend to draft on the younger side, so I feel like my team can kind of grow into itself rather than require that first to kind of reinvigorate it for the next year. So I, I really like to flip it 
for a, you know, usually you can get like a fifth round value for that 2021 first. Yep. I don't like moving up for it. I like that extra player so I can get, you know, maybe six guys through fifth, five rounds and, you know, maybe do another trade up and get like, you know, maybe seven guys through five or six, you know, five rounds, which is my preferred strategy. So it, it kind of like enables you to like really set out your roster. Then you're kind of free after that to kind of like just pick value at the rest of the draft. Yeah. You ended up with eight picks in the first six rounds of this draft, 10 picks in the first seven rounds and 15 picks in the first 10 rounds. <laughs> yeah. Th- I mean, it was a, it was a tough room. I mean, there were a lot of, a lot of sharp players in it, but uh, there wasn't as much trading as, as I was used to, but I, I was kind of happy I could get those picks uh, early like that. So taking a step back from all that movement now, tell us about your experience with dynasty leagues and, or the Superflex format in fantasy. I do traditional one quarterback leagues for the most part. Last year, I uh, partnered with uh, my friend Dustin, who's in one of my other dynasty leagues, and we did a 77 Superflex. Uh, I just wanted to try it out. And uh, we started out and we drafted three quarterbacks early. We grabbed Mahomes, uh, Baker, and Watson. And we're like looking to stack quarterbacks. And come the middle of the draft, we try to grab another one, and FFPC blocks you out which I know, Matt, you had, it kind of caught, you know, caught you by surprise as well, I think. I think you tweeted about something like that. Yeah. You know, so that kind of blew up our strategy. But, you know, the team ended up pretty good anyway. And I understand why FFPC does it for competitive reasons and everything else. So it was just one of those things that kind of snuck up on us in that draft. But I I, I knew to navigate around it uh, in, in this particular draft. I have to say, as we're talking about quarterbacks, your eighth round pick of Justin Herbert made me second guess my earlier pick of Ryan Tannehill because I was deciding between those guys and I decided to go for the guy that was a, you know a safer bet for 2020 production kind of hoping you know not knowing that knowing that it wasn't likely but hoping that Justin Herbert would make it back to me but that was the one spot in the draft that I can really remember thinking ah, maybe I should have done the other thing in my last turn if you want, I'll flip you uh, Herbert for Tannehill. If you... <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I I really do like Tannehill this year. That that's a solid pick. Herbert's kind of like the forgotten guy. You know, it's Tua and Burrow. And uh, you know, I feel like Herbert kind of falls through the cracks, but he was drafted at six pick. You know, so he's got a lot of draft capital, and there's not really much in front of him. So I felt like I got him at a pretty good value at the eight ten because I I was kind of kicking myself for trading Tua at the five three, but I was glad to land Herbert late there. Yeah, I like how you ended up a quarterback. You know, you got the two guys in Rodgers and, and Stafford who you can lean on for at least this season, then Herbert sort of for the future. With those three running backs to open the draft, Saquon, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, was it your strategy coming in to you know load up on as many elite running backs early as possible? Is that just sort of how the board fell for you? Yeah, I mean, once I got, had the 103, I was really planning on uh, Saquon dropping to me. I know in the FFPC, like running back is king. So I, I really wanted to like focus on, you know, young running backs. You know, I was, I know we went back and forth with a couple of trade offers and I was really hoping to get the 101 and couple mm-hmm. it with the 103 and uh, grab Christian McCaffrey and couple them with Saquon Barkley. And I felt anything after that, I, I yeah. could have really like, you know, done whatever I wanted and I would have been a pretty competitive team. You were a little too sharp for that one, so I, I, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't let you be McCaffrey and Barkley. That couldn't. That couldn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> and I even tried to uh, 
work something out with Matt to couple Barkley and Mahomes together. But uh, you guys are you guys are on to me. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but I really do like grabbing those young running backs because you know they have a pretty high hit rate, and um, you know I feel really good about the Acres pick, especially after uh, your tweet about the Gurley production. So that made me feel a lot better about that pick. Do you feel like you pretty much stuck to your pre-draft plan or were there points at which you adjusted your path? I, I feel like I pretty much stuck to it. I really wanted to hit uh, young running backs early. I, I kind of wanted to, I really like to mix in some older wide receivers. Like I got the Thielen and the Keenan Allen, and I, I really like to mix them with some young talent. I'm kind of on an island, but I really like Anthony Miller. Jalen Rager, I was really happy to get him. Tight end, you know, fell pretty well, like you guys stated earlier. I kind of got Deontay Johnson, you know, in the middle of the hype. So I didn't get I didn't get <laughs> killed on that pick too badly. And Edelman, that was another story. My son had something to do with that. <laughs> well, what's that story? So I'm I'm sitting here scrolling through the draft board. I'm at I'm at 15. 15- 03 and 1505 and I'm looking at I'm, I'm looking at drafting Jared Cook and Paris Campbell I'm trying to figure out which one I'm gonna pick first which one is gonna get past uh Phil so my son comes out of nowhere and you know he's five years old and he tackles me and I look at my phone and I uh and I draft Julian Edelman <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so but you know it, tend, it it turned out to be a pretty a pretty smart pick I could use him in bye weeks and stuff and you know, who knows? And so he might be a better drafter than I am. So I don't know. You know, I hear that's the same story of how the Patriots landed him in round seven, although it was not <laughs> Bill's son, it was his dog. And it was like, <laughs> no, the quarterback's going to be a wide receiver in the NFL. <laughs> so that, that, that actually worked out okay. I wasn't too upset about that. If it was in the fifth round, that would have been, you know, <laughs> may have been a different story. Right. Keenan Allen, by the way, just texted me and he said he's angry that you're calling him an old receiver at 28. Uh, yeah, you know what? It, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But you know, everybody like the fantasy community seems to have like he's like an afterthought now. I mean, he's still like yeah. you know a really top tier talent. But you know, I mean, Tyrod, you know, he he's not the worst quarterback in the world. And you know, if uh, Herbert turns into something, I mean, he could have you know he could have a pretty decent year. I'm not planning on you know number one wide receiver, but I'm hoping for a second tier value. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to be on the field for that long. Anthony Miller is an interesting case because uh, he could he he has a pretty wide range of outcomes this year. I think, especially given that we really don't know what's going to happen with this Bears quarterback situation, it should improve because of the competition. Anthony Miller is still young. Jared and I both loved him coming into the league. I, I, every time I think about Anthony Miller, I feel like I should be more excited about his long term outlook right now. It's tough to get excited about the Bears number two, even if, you know, even if he is the clear number two, it's hard to get excited about the Bears number two receiver this year, but he certainly has a path to, you know, 100, 110 targets. Yeah, I I mean, I love him. I mean, he, he really came on at the end of last year. And like, you know, one of the things I read about him was he was saying that there was a big adjustment for him coming from college to the pros. And like, you know, he felt like everything started to click last year. He said, you know, his old tricks that he used to use, they weren't working and he had to adjust. And he really feels like he kind of found his, uh, you know, his rhythm. And it, and it really showed on the field. He, 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 his numbers towards the end of the year were, were pretty top notch. I mean, I love watching him. I love, you know, he, 
I know everybody says he looks like a little Antonio Brown, but he, you know, he really does, you know, he's not Antonio Brown, obviously, but he has like, that's the same movement and he's just a fun player to watch. And uh, I'm really excited to see what he does this year. He should have improved quarterback play. I- I'm excited. I-, I have him in, you know, almost every dynasty league. I mean, I love the guy. So uh, I-, I got a lot invested in him. So maybe I- it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> I think that I remember his college stuff reminding me even more of Steve Smith coming into the league. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting comp. Yeah, Steve, I mean, Steve Smith would work too. Isn't nothing wrong with Steve Smith? No, not at all. <laughs> I'll take it. Jake, anything that you would do differently in hindsight, looking back at your team now, looking back at the draft itself? You know, I mean, Rodgers and Stafford have the same bye week, so uh, you know, it, <laughs> they're they're both on bye week five, so you know. In retrospect, a little bit of a mistake because, you know, unless Herbert's starting at that point, you know, that's probably a loss that week. You know, I, missing out on Chark kind of stung a little. Rhino grabbed him at the 509. He's a guy I'm kind of planting my flag on this year. One of my co-managers in another league, Greg McLean, you know, turned me on to him uh, when he was coming out of college when everybody was sleeping on him. Well, most everyone. He's coming into his third year. He's going to be 24 years old. Jay Gruden, you know, I'm a big Washington fan. And, you know, I know Gruden back when he was in Cincinnati, he loves to like, he loves to feed that X receiver, you know, a la AJ Green. So I think that continuity has with Minshew as well. I think they're going to pump a lot of targets to him and not much has changed there unless Chenault really comes on. So I'm really excited about Chark this year and that defense is terrible. So (laughs) I I mean, they're going to be in catch up mode. Well, the nice thing about Dynasty is you can always, you know, try to try to work a trade for DJ Chark. Although I'm sure if Tim listens to this podcast, the price for Chark is going to go up after listening. To <laughs> I got to tell you that the price for Chark is unbelievable. You know, I know what the calculators say and everything else, but you try to trade for that guy, and <laughs> nobody is moving him. I mean, I can't, I can't get. I mean, I'm in maybe ten Dynasty leagues, and I cannot get him anywhere. Well, for what it's worth, I think Justin Herbert's going to be starting by week five for you, and he's got a trip to New Orleans that week, so it could be a decent one. I hope you're right, Matt. (laughs) Well, Jake, thanks very much for joining us and talking about your team and the draft. Thanks, guys. It was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and I appreciate all the work you guys do. Thanks. Take care, man. Bye. Joining us now is Phil Hager, owner of Team Phil Wallet. So, Phil, thanks for joining us, and uh, thank you for your misconception that you're going to make some money off this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll try and be competitive this year. I know it's a lot of experts in the league, but I'll try and hold my own. And Phil came away with that, but I think it's a solid team in the startup draft. So Phil made six trades during the startup draft. I think the biggest one was trading down from the 11th round to the 18th round in the startup draft. Um, But he picked up a 2021 second round rookie pick and two 2021 third round rookie picks in that trade. He did end up trading away those extra third rounders, but Phil does now own two second round picks in next year's rookie draft. In the startup draft, Phil made pretty heavy investment in the quarterback position. He took Lamar Jackson in the first round, Daniel Jones in the fourth round, Drew Locke in the seventh round. So a nice trio of young quarterbacks. Phil spent a pair of second round picks on running backs, taking Nick Chubb at 206 and Derrick Henry at 211. He later took Raheem Mostert in the eighth, James White in the 13th, another Patriots running back, Damian Harris 
in the 16th round and rookie Eno Benjamin in the 19th. At wide receiver, Phil has Jerry Judy, who is a sixth round pick, Cooper Cup, a seventh rounder, Mike Williams in the 10th, Brandon Cooks in the 12th, and then Golden Tate and Antonio Gandy Golden both in the 18th. And then finally at tight end, Austin Hooper at 904, Jared Cook in the 15th round, and Greg Olson in the 19th round. We had the owners of Team SBFFC on yesterday, and they were lamenting not taking. Daniel Jones in round four. Was he a target for you heading into the draft? Yes, definitely. He was one of the, you know, I wanted to get, like you said, I wanted to focus on quarterbacks and try and get, if I could, three young quarterbacks. So after getting Jackson with the first pick, then I was definitely Daniel Jones was one of the ones I'm targeting. So uh, I'm glad to hear that, that he was looking at that because I was uh, (laughs) worried I might have reached for him a little bit, but uh, I'm glad to hear somebody else was interested in him. Were you surprised to see Lamar get to pick four? Or is that about where you would have guessed he would go? I was surprised. I was I was worried he was going to get taken at pick number three. So my plan was if he had gotten taken at pick number three, instead of picking Barkley, I was probably going to try and trade down. So I was I was happy that Jackson fell to four for me. So before we go any further into your picks and your decisions here, um, tell us a little bit about your experience with Dynasty Leagues and or the Superflex format. Dynasty Leagues, I've been playing uh, for, this is going to be my fourth year. I've uh, been doing fantasy for about 20 years, but Dynasty, this is my fourth year, and uh, just joined a Superflex last year. Uh, so I'm hoping my team this year does a little bit better than my one last year. So this is my second year playing Superflex. Did you learn anything from playing that last year that you, that you didn't know or something that you feel better about now than you did going into that first try? I did. I think during the waivers, I probably will try and focus on, you know, if there's good available potential starting quarterbacks available, try and go go after them a little more aggressively. Um, I, throughout the year, I was just uh, regretting not uh, bidding higher or, you know, holding on to another fringe roster player instead of trying to get Tannehill on my roster. So kind of since that waiver run, I've regretted not not getting him on when I had a chance. That's been a common theme among owners so far doing these interviews is everyone sort of looking to that waiver wire, especially you know early on the first waiver run in this league where there, I think there's still some quarterbacks that didn't get drafted because of the you know three quarterback limit during the draft that probably deserve to be on rosters in super flex leagues. So there's going to be sort of a rush to grab those off the, the first waiver wire run. Yes, definitely. I can certainly identify with that uh, notion of keeping fringe players around on your roster too long. I think that's one of my biggest sins in any fantasy format (laughs) is just the inability to give up on somebody after I believed in him at draft time. Definitely. Yeah. JJ Arcega Whiteside was the, was the guy I kept holding on (laughs) to and, you know, eventually just dropped him for, I don't even, I don't even know what, but. (laughs) Hey, he's on my roster in this league. So I I don't think you should completely give up on him yet. (laughs) That's right. Besides the young quarterbacks that you mentioned, what was your strategy heading into this draft? Um, So besides that, my strategy was, you know, I want to try and, you know, draft a mix of young guys, but I also want to try and be competitive, you know, year one. So like you mentioned, I did trade down made a couple trade downs into, uh, you know, mid, late round two. And I was targeting trying to get like, you know, Miles Sanders and Nick Chubb. And I was able to get Chubb there and then traded it to the back of round two and ended up with Derrick Henry. So I just wanted to try and get, you know, some good running backs that could contribute right away and that were still, you know, relatively young. Just, you know, getting the three young quarterbacks and getting two or three running backs that would hopefully contribute right away was kind of my main strategy going in. So it sounds like you pretty much executed the plan that you went in with. Was there any point where you felt like you needed to adjust your approach? I did a little bit. You know, 
once I got the the two running backs, Chubb and Henry, then you know I was looking to get another one, and I ended up that I I felt like I could wait a little while to get another one. Um, it seemed like there wasn't as big a run on running backs. There was more a focus on uh, wide receivers for a while, so I kind of held off on that and waited, I think, till the eighth round or so to get Mostert, who I'm actually pretty excited about this year. I like that they're talking about an extension. I'm kind of hoping he contributes uh, heavily this year, at least. I know he won't. He's older, but he won't contribute maybe for, for too long, but I'm hoping he contributes this year. And then I was able to get James White, you know, later in the draft. I know he's older as well, but hoping he gives me another good year or two and then kind of backed him up with Damon Harris. I was looking at James White in the range where you took him. He was, I believe he was probably going to be my next pick at that point. So I was a little bit disappointed there because he, he to, to me, was a good answer after I went, you know, kind of zero RB earlier in the draft, stocking up on, on other guys. So I did, I do remember him coming off the board and being disappointed and more disappointed than you would generally, you know, think somebody would be at watching an old reception only running back leaving the board in Dynasty. <laughs> Right. And I tried to, when I was doing my rankings and kind of coming up with my list, I, I made sure to kind of look at the draft sharks projections. And I tried to you know, keep an eye on who, you know, the draft sharks thought would do well this year and kind of <laughs> later in the draft, look at those to see what, what players might be chosen soon. I knew we should have hidden those pages on the stage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Were you, so we've had kind of differing opinions on this. What did you think of the rate at which quarterbacks went off the board in this league? Did they go, about how you figured, did they go slower than you thought they would, something else? I thought, you know, in the beginning, the the top quarterbacks kind of went as I expected. But then later, I kept expecting there to be this big run on quarterbacks and just, you know, you know, six or seven of the next 10 picks were going to be quarterbacks. But that never seemed to come. It seemed to come in little spurts, like there'd be two or three selected, and then it would be another round before more were selected. And I, I kept expecting more to get drafted uh, quickly, but they didn't. What was your favorite pick uh, of your own or move that you made throughout the draft? Wh- which one really excited you? Um, I liked moving up the trade I made to get into the early or mid-second to get Nick Chubb. I, I think if I had stayed with my second-round pick, I think I would have missed out on that group of like Chubb and Sanders. So I'm glad I made that move to to move up there and then also to kind of get Henry. Those were Hopefully, I'm hoping those two moves will help me be competitive this year. Yeah, I traded up just from 2.5 to 2.04 to get Dalvin Cook. But if I had stayed at 2.05 and, and Cook win at 2.04, Chubb would have been my pick at 2.05. So I, I definitely liked the value you got on him there. And we talked to JC yesterday, JC Rodriguez, who said he was hoping to get one of those running backs at 2.11 and got frozen out of that and ended up trading out of that spot. So it sounds like that was a pretty common focus in that area of the draft, too. Uh, is there anything that you would have done differently in hindsight now that we can look back on the results of that draft? I think, you know, I was targeting quarterbacks and I'm glad I got three young ones, but potentially maybe on that third quarterback, you know, if I'd maybe held off a little bit longer, it looked like there were some pretty good values later in the draft, you know, Brady and Garoppolo in the late eighth. And then I even like Cousins and Teddy Bridgewater even in like the late 10th. So, you know, maybe if I'd held off on, you know, I do like Drew Locke and think hopefully he'll, he'll do well, but, you know, I potentially could have held off and you know, address some other positions and still gotten a good quarterback later. Um, did you go in with any sort of plan to stack teammates such as the the Drew Locke and Jerry Judy combo that you got? You know, I didn't. I didn't. And that was just kind of coincidence on who was available when. You know, I am a little a little nervous on that Drew Locke and seeing how many weapons he can support. I know, you know, Cortland Sutton did great and Noah Fant did well last year, but just curious to see. I'm hoping 
Drew Locke does well and can support kind of all those weapons, and I'm hoping those weapons kind of elevate his game. Can you talk quick about your, I guess, approach at tight end in this draft with the tight end premium scoring in FFPC? I, I thought the tight ends were dropping farther than they should have all draft. Um, you know, you ended up waiting to the ninth round to take your first one. I think Austin Hooper was a nice value there. And then, you know, you used 15th and 19th rounders on your second and third tight ends. Were you considering tight ends earlier than that? Or is it your plan to sort of wait at that position? You know, I was considering them earlier and I seemed to, you know, just kind of miss out on you know, a tight end I wanted by a pick or two or three. So I was happy with Hooper kind of, you know, as my backup there, just what I ended up with. And then, you know, I kept looking at tight end later in the draft and just kept missing out. And so I decided to go with, you know, two older ones and, uh, you know, Cook and Olsen just, you know, at least maybe get some production out of them this year, but, you know, start looking to other tight ends that might contribute, you know, in two or three years. Well, Phil, thanks very much for joining us today, talking about your team, and I look forward to competing with you. Okay, thank you, and thank you for setting this league up. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. Take care. You too. That'll do it for this beefy episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now for updated dynasty rankings by position. You can also find 2020 rookie draft rankings for offense, IDP, and a combined cheat sheet. You can also expect to see much more dynasty content throughout the year, including check-ins on this Superflex League on DraftSharks.com. You can find us and most of our league's owners on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. And you can find Twitter handles for other owners in the pinned tweet on my Twitter account. For Jared Smola and all the members of the DS Invitational Dynasty League, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 